0: Return turn with me now to Philippians chapter 3, I'm continuing with our study in the book of Philippians. It's good to be back with you again. I just should mention after a, a week hiatus down at our sister church in Janesville at Christ OPC. And I hope you enjoyed your time with our brother, Bryce Suve, who preached last weekend. And uh, I had a good time talking with him. He said he enjoyed being with you all. I enjoyed being with them. So it's wonderful that we get to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can share each other and uh, worship together and know that we have a common faith together. So it's good to be back with you all. Now, as we turn to the book of Philippians, we're going to be in verse 12 through 16. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think, of, think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Almighty and gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your word, Grant that our hearts, freed from our worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith. Grant this so that we might rightly discern your gracious will to us, that we might cherish it and live by it with all earnestness. To your praise and honor, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. This passage for us is a continuation of a larger section that begins all the way up in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. There Paul warns the Philippian congregation, and through us today we are warned by the Holy Spirit of those who would come in and cause us to turn away from Jesus Christ and depend upon our own works. Paul in that passage, in that section of Philippians calls us not to have confidence in ourselves, not to believe that we have a righteousness of our own, but to see that all of our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. But in that passage, Paul declares his desire to know Jesus Christ. We see this in verse verse 8, where he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he reiterates this again further down, that after he declares he has no righteousness of his own, he finds it in Jesus Christ, that he still wants to, verse 10, know him and know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection of the dead. For Paul, he has this one all-consuming desire, and that is to know Jesus Christ. He counts everything as rubbish, we learned a few weeks ago, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. For Paul, nothing can interfere with this knowledge. And so the question for us today is, what interferes for us with this knowledge? And more importantly, is this your desire of your heart? Do you want to know this surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you want to pursue after this? Do you want to, as our title tells us, press on to know this with everything that is in you? Well, I'd like to look at this passage of four different things I see present here. The four things that I hope to see is our need, our prize, our call, and our thinking. I couldn't think of a noun for the last one, so you'll forgive me for our participle. Our need, our prize, our call, and our thinking. First off, Paul declares our need. The thing that we must all understand about ourselves is that we are in need. We are a needy people, not in the sense of demanding, but we are people who need something. We are actually in need constantly. We are not sufficient in ourselves. Paul himself declares twice in this passage his own need. We must remember who the Apostle Paul is and who it is that's saying this so that we can understand ourselves in this passage. We must remember that Paul wrote much of the New Testament, many letters that we have from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this about himself when he is talking about the relationship of Israel and the Gentiles, that God has brought them together to be the one church Ephesians 3 verse 4 says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul has unique insight into the way that God works. Unique insight into the person of Christ. Unique insight into the work of Christ. What God has done. More than this, Paul saw Jesus Christ who was risen from the dead. In person. Physical body glorious body in front of him, he was confronted with Jesus Christ himself. He had a vast knowledge of who Jesus Christ, and he had a personal, intimate, genuine, real experience of the risen Jesus Christ. If anyone in this entire world could claim that he knows Christ, it's the Apostle Paul. He could say, I know more than all of you. He could Lord, his knowledge over others. He could say, I have arrived. I have seen Jesus. I know everything I need to know. I've seen him. I've seen the risen Christ. But was Paul content? Was Paul content with that knowledge that he had already? Did he think that he had finally arrived in his Christian life to a place where he says, yes, I'm good. I don't need to learn anything more in my life. In essence, did Paul become passive in his Christian life? No. Paul declares that clearly. He says, I do not, I have not obtained this. I'm not already perfect. I don't know everything that I need to know. Just as he has declared before in verses 8 and then again in verse 10. I want to know Jesus Christ. I have not obtained the full, complete knowledge of who Jesus is. And the implication for the rest of us is if Paul himself acknowledges that he has not obtained this, what does that mean for all of us? That we have not obtained this in this life. We have not obtained the fullness of knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That implies a few things about us. That implies that there is more ignorance Of who Christ is, then there is knowledge. Now, we may have a true knowledge of Christ. That is not to negate or overturn that we have a true knowledge of Christ. But Paul says there is a surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It will take an eternity to unfold and unveil that knowledge. But we must confess together with the Apostle Paul that. There is far too much ignorance in us. But there is another thing that we often find in us. Not just ignorance, but lethargy. Tiredness. We grow weary. We don't want to press on, as Paul tells us, to know Christ more. Sometimes we're tired because of our physical circumstances. But sometimes we're tired because sin clings to our hearts. And it tells us you already know what you need to know about Christ. You should rest content in that knowledge and nothing else. But there is another implication of this. That there is more sin in us than righteousness. We are ignorant. We are lethargic. We are sinful people. But this knowledge is held out to us that we can know more and more. We need, we are a needy people who need to know Christ more and more in our lives. But Paul says something fascinating immediately after declaring the lack of his, or incompleteness of his knowledge. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We seek to lay hold of Christ, to know him in all of his fullness, because he has made us his own. Or I may put it differently, Christ has laid hold of us so that we would know him. He has taken hold of us so that he could reveal all of his goodness. Just as we read in Exodus about what the Lord has done to Moses, that God took hold of Moses and revealed himself to Moses. Uh, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you must know, first of all, that Christ has taken hold of you. Our knowledge of Christ does not spring up from something inside of us. It springs up because of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us in our lives. We belong to him. We are his property and his possession. But secondly, Christ does not leave his sheep to fend for themselves. I was reminded of Psalm 23 as I meditated on this, that he is the one Who makes us lie down in green pastures. He is the one who leads us beside still waters. He is the one who restores our soul. And he is the one who leads us in paths of righteousness. He possesses us. He is our good shepherd who is leading us and guiding us. To know him and his goodness towards us always. Christ is our tender shepherd who has taken hold of us, his lost and wayward sheep. That is our need, to know this Savior, to know that we are a needy people. But secondly, Paul tells the Philippians, and we are told today, to pursue this knowledge of Christ. I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I do not, verse 13, consider that I have made it my own. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In this language, Paul is using racing terminology. Runners. And if you have run a race, you will know this. That you do not run backwards looking at the past as you run forward. Try to get across the finish line. You, in fact, don't even look back when you run the race. The one singular thing that is on your mind is getting across that goal. The question you might ask is, why would a runner look behind them? Well, they're afraid. They're afraid somebody else might come past them. But what difference would that make? Would you actually run harder? What is driving you? The people behind you or the goal in front of you? And Paul tells how we are to run this race of pursuing the knowledge of Christ ahead of us. The first thing he says is forgetting what lies behind. I think there are two things that Paul is implying here that hinder our forward progress in our Christian life. The first is our focusing on our lack of progress in knowing Christ, we despair. We meet other people who seem to have a much greater knowledge of Jesus Christ and we despair of ourselves. We think of the time we have wasted, the life that we have misspent. And we despond, we despair, we become sorrowful because of this. And there's a proper form of repentance and looking at our life and our past and realizing that we have done that. But the wrong way that despair leads us is it leads us to stagnation. We don't look forward. We don't move forward. We just believe we're going to fail again. We're just not going to do this. We're going to be the same old people that we're going to be. But at heart, that is just a, a heart of pride. Behind that thinking, is a mind that says, I can accurately assess myself. I can be the measure of what proper knowledge is of God and whether I am doing this appropriately. In the end, you cannot accurately assess yourself. There is a form of this that's appropriate. Because the fact of the matter, despairing Christian, is you're far worse Then you know. You don't actually truly know yourself. You think you're bad. You think you don't live up to the knowledge that you have. Well, I have some bad news for you. It's much worse than you think. You don't actually know yourself as you ought to know yourself. That's the first thing that will hinder our forward progress. Is looking back and seeing all of our failures. But there is a second thing, gauging ourselves by how much we do know. We're content with ourselves. We're content that I have arrived. I have read systematic theologies. If you don't know what that is, come talk to me afterward. I have listened to great preachers. I have sat under great teaching. I am teaching other people about God and about Jesus Christ. I have arrived. I have the complete knowledge. But as Paul told us before, that this knowledge of Christ is surpassing, surpassing everything. See, the problem of both of these is that our eyes are upon ourselves. The person who despairs and the person who is self-confident. The person they are looking at is themselves. It is introspection. Oftentimes people think of introspection in relationship to despair. But there is another form of introspection. It is looking at myself and being self-confident. I know myself truly. That is another false form of introspection. In the words of John Calvin, he says, we always seem to ourselves just, upright, wise, and holy. We look at others and we say, if only they could think and do and act the way that I do, then this world would go well. We all do that. We're always looking at ourselves. But that is not the call for us to hear today. It is not to look at ourselves, it's to forget ourselves. Forgetting what lies behind. It is a great irony that Paul lays out here. The greatest hindrance to our growth is actually focusing on our own growth. Looking, how much am I growing? Paul is saying, don't even think about it. You're running a race. Don't think about, how am I running? How am I doing this? No, just run. Press on. John Calvin, again, in his Institute says this, For what man is not disposed to rest in himself? Who, in fact, does not thus rest, so long as he is unknown to himself? That is, so long as he is contented with his own endowments, and unconscious or unmindful of his misery. Every person, therefore, on coming to the knowledge of himself, is not only urged to seek God, but is also led as by the hand to find him. What Paul is saying is once you understand who you are, your goal and trajectory needs to be to seek God, not to look further into yourself. Our gaze continually upon ourselves is the surest way to bring ruin to your Christian life. But Paul tells us that he forgets what lies behind and he strains towards what is ahead towards this prize. Cross the goal so that he may obtain the prize. As a runner, you, the whole reason to cross the goal is to obtain the prize. It's not simply to just cross the goal, but you want to win something. That may be simply a medal that shows you actually finished the race. The prize of declaring and putting a sticker on your car that you ran that far. You went that dis- distance. There is a prize at the end. That prize for us today is the knowledge of Christ. This is what Paul prays for in the book of Ephesians. Paul prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God the prize of the Christian life is knowing Christ. It is ultimately knowing Him who loved us. We want to know Him who has loved us in the way that He has. To know the Christ who knows everything about us. He knows every aspect of our being. He knows every cell, every atom Of who we are. He knows every thought that comes to our head. He knows it before it comes into our mind. He not only knows who we are. He knows who we will become. He knows who we have been. Christ knows every part of you that you wish nobody else would know about. The things that you want to keep hidden. Jesus Christ knows. He sees everything, and he knows everything about you. Yet the amazing thing about Jesus Christ is if you are a Christian, he knows everything about you, and he still loves you. This is our greatest fear in knowing people. We keep things hidden because we do not want to be known for who we really are. We want to show our best things about us, that they would love us. But we know there are things that if we were to reveal them, that would compromise their willingness to love us. It is not so with Jesus Christ. He has loved us from all eternity. Psalm 139. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jesus Christ sees everything about you. And he has loved you because he chose to. Not because there was anything good in you to recommend him to love you. He simply said, I am going to love you. No matter what I find in you. No matter how ugly, how dirty, how filthy it might be. And trust me, As I said before, we are much filthier and dirtier than we know. In fact, that is precisely why he has loved us. Because we are unworthy. He loved us because we are filthy. We're not worthy of his love. And that is why he has poured out his love on us. The psalmist later in 139 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake. I love this part that it says. I am still with you. That is love. When God knows everything about us, everything that goes on in our hearts, everything that goes on in our minds, and he is still with us. So that is the prize, is to know this God who has loved us, to know this Christ who has loved us. But thirdly, our call this morning. This is why God has created us new. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is why God has called us to himself. This is why he has made us new creations. So that we could know him in all of his fullness. It is our heavenly calling. Our upward call where we are being called to heaven to know him who is in heaven. Where we will one day go and ascend to be to see it clearly. 2 Corinthians says that we see dimly. We see as in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. But it is a God, not only who has called us, but he has called us. This is not our calling upon our lives. This is God's calling upon our lives. The grace of the Christian life is that God has not only secured our salvation in Jesus, but that in time, he actually called us to belong to Jesus Christ, to know him. To begin to know him. This is what our catechism is, calls effectual, effective, a work that actually accomplishes its intended end, effectual calling. Now you say, what is effectual calling? That's wonderful because that's exactly what our catechism asks. Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills he persuades and enables persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel God makes us alive renews our wills enlightens our minds so that we can believe in Jesus Christ, so that we can see him through faith. See, apart from God's calling, apart from his work in us, we are hopeless. If God does not do this work, we will not know God. We will remain in darkness. In ourselves, we are hopeless, but God is the one who has called us out of darkness into light. To see him who we cannot see otherwise. But Paul shows one last thing in this passage for us this morning. That this is the sign of a mature Christian life. Certainly, obedience to God is the sign of a mature Christian. But it's interesting what Paul notes here is the sign of a mature Christian. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Our thinking. Mature Christians think a certain way. Not only do they behave a certain way, but they think a certain way, and most importantly, they think a certain way about themselves and who God is. A mature Christian continually acknowledges their need to know more of Christ. A mature Christian is pursuing after Christ, knowing that they must pursue Him to press on. A mature Christian knows that Christ has laid hold of him. A mature Christian knows that God has called him. That is the beginning of our pursuit of this knowledge of Christ. Acknowledging our need to know more of Christ. Knowing that Christ has laid hold of us. Knowing that God has called us to know Christ. But Paul ends with this interesting little caveat he throws in this passage. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, what does he say? God will reveal that also to you. See, God is a God of grace. He knows our frame, He knows we are prone to trust in ourselves. As Calvin told us earlier, think we are righteous, holy, complete. But for those of you who are Christians, God is faithful to you. And he wants you to know Christ more and more. And he wants to show you the ways in your life that you went astray from this. That ultimately this pursuit of the knowledge of God depends entirely upon God's work. He is the one who will reveal it to you. He will show it to you. And that is our hope in this Christian life, is that God is a God who is at work of us, in us, despite ourselves. You are going to fail in this. But you serve and believe in a God who knows you. Who is going to pursue you. And who is going to show you what you need to know. That is our hope for this Christian life. Is that we serve a God who is gracious. And gives to those who do not deserve it. Because ultimately, God wants nothing more than for you to know Jesus Christ. And he is going to be faithful to that call that he has put on your life. So have hope in God. Have hope in what God is doing in you right now. That he is faithful to you despite all of your losses, despite all of your failures, despite all of your running this Christian life and tripping and falling along the way. He will lift you and he will carry you home. He will guide you beside streams of still waters. That is your hope this morning, Christian. So know Jesus Christ. Know what he has done for you know that you serve a faithful, loving, and merciful God today. Let's pray. Our Father, we are insufficient for these things. We confess that so often we run to other things, that we run to idols. We run to our own righteousness. We trust in ourselves. Lord, we ask, as you have promised in your word, to reveal to us the ways that we rest in our own knowledge. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus Christ, to see him who gave himself freely for our sake. And Lord, help us to have confidence in you and your work alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.